so I think in a way, leading an authentic life has been taking the path of most resistance over and over and over again. And I think that for me, at least, it's about allowing what I care about to define what I do and to be careful about what I care about. Welcome to A Congruent Life, where we share inspirational stories of authenticity and happiness. A Congruent Life is an interview project sharing the stories of ordinary people doing extraordinary things, discovering their passions, and living authentic, amazing lives. Here's your host, Andy Gray. Greetings to you, and thanks for joining me for episode 63 of A Congruent Life. My name is Andy Gray, and it's my honor to share stories of authenticity and reinvention with you, and have you join me for conversations with some pretty inspiring people who live their lives with authenticity and congruence. Today, I'm glad to introduce the A Congruent Life community to Katrin McMillan. Katrin does some amazing work in the development and human rights arena with infectious energy, and, well, I'll let her describe some of her recent projects to you. Here's our conversation. Today, we're talking with Katrin McMillan, who's the founder of a human rights organization called Projects for All. Katrin, welcome to A Congruent Life. Thank you so much, Andy. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. It's great to reconnect with you. I really enjoyed the time we spent together in Fargo, and it seems that many of our recent guests have some sort of connection with Fargo and MisfitCon. <laughs> anyway, I loved your story, your enthusiasm, and your presence. And the more we talked, the more I was convinced you'd be a great match for what we're doing here on A Congruent Life. Well, I'm really excited to be part of it. Thank you so much for inviting me to talk to you. Let's just start with a quick introduction. Perhaps tell us what you're up to and specifically about what Projects for All is all about. Yeah, I'd love to. Thank you. Um, well, Projects for All is, a, as you said, it's a, it's a charity. It's a human rights organization. But at the moment, we have a, a main project uh, called Project Hello World. Um, and Project Hello World is about providing um, children with little or no access to education, with access to um, digital education and the Internet so that they can become autodidactic. The idea is to make digital education affordable enough so it really is practical for every child in need of an education to have one and uh, the project's based on Sugata Mitra's research in the Hole in the Wall project and came about when my colleague Roland Wells and I were talking via Iowa and South Omo which is on the Ethiopian border with Kenya um, about the real lack of education the widespread massive uh, lack of education out there and um, what we felt we could do about it so that's what we're working on at the moment. I love the goals of Project Hello World. And certainly the geek in me is drawn to what you're doing with the Hello Hubs. And from a humanitarian perspective, I love the idea of enabling access to education and information and making the world smaller as you are. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just an amazing... Like it's such it, it's such an amazing question, the idea of, of what would be possible if we really do connect every child to education and information and the ability to tell their story. That would be totally radical and would change the world. And and I think one of the 
things that um, motivates and drives this project is that at the moment, if you were to combine the entire aid budget worldwide that's allocated for education and you put it towards building schools and hiring teachers, it, it doesn't even come close to filling the education deficit. And, and it, it makes it so obvious that a new paradigm for education is absolutely critical if we really do believe that every child deserves an education. I think that it's just it will be such a gift for everyone if we really can hear all of the voices of the children um, out there and also um, learn from them. So I, I think that it's about uh, I mean, it's obviously it would be it would be a wonderful thing for everyone if if every child really does have access to information and education and it's possible. Can you talk a little bit about that deficit in education and specifically what you mentioned about not being able to cover that gap through traditional funding? Mm. and how maybe this approach might be different? Mm. I mean, we, we launched the project in Nigeria. Nigeria is a quarter of Africa's extreme poor, um, a population of 175-odd million people, and it has 8 million-plus children who are not enrolled in school. And there isn't... Um, uh, there isn't a plan for most of those children to have access to education, and that is totally intolerable it's not good enough it won't do it it, it uh, the development of the country depends on education on on children's ability to uh, learn to find work to um, have a decent livelihood if not a great one and 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 to be able to change their own circumstances um i think maybe the most significant thing about project hello world is not um is not even the educational tools and equipment um, and access to the world's body of knowledge. It, it's actually the process by which we work with a community to um, give them access to information. Um, a lot of uh, a lot of uh, development and aid projects um, necessarily because of the because of the pressures and demands put on by the donor community show up um, as quickly as possible put something up get some pictures report on it and leave um, and in my view that's a really dangerous um, uh, and undermining thing to do it seems to me that you're implicitly telling a community that they can't change their own lives that they can't make this progress without you um, that they wouldn't know how to build it anyway and um, there's no point in training them how to maintain it and that that's really problematic. Project Hello World takes a completely different approach, which is about involving the community as an equal partner at every level um, of the project. It means that we only work with the community who have invited us to partner with them. And we take part of what we need to complete the project and they have to bring the rest. So they make an equal or proportional investment in the project, no matter how poor they are. Um, it's about uh, treating people as equals um, with respect and not patronizing people. But most of all, it's extremely practical. Um, there's no point in building something for a community that they either don't want or don't understand. There's no point in building something for a community that they don't know how to maintain and repair. Um, and there's also no point in building something for a community that they don't really value um, so that they don't feel inclined. So that, and if they do value it, they'll be inclined to protect it, to maintain it, to improve it, um, and it's an incredibly empowering process for any of us to take ownership of our lives in that way. So I, I think that access to information is critical. Um, uh, providing children with the tools to become autodidactic is extremely exciting. These children are desperate to learn and desperate to change their circumstances. They are working so hard to do that. But the process of um, uh, enabling to 
to them to own this entire um, setup themselves and build it and maintain it. I think in a way that's the thing that's most disruptive and radical and most successful about the project. Can you explain practically what Hello Hubs are and how they work? Yeah. <laughs> That's a really good question. So it's they're quite hard to imagine. I I know it's um well they're outdoors, so they're built in the middle of a town or or a village. In fact, they're built wherever the community decides they should be built. But one of the principles that we hold very firmly is that they need to be open and free access across all levels of the community. So it can't be behind a fence in a in the political compound or anything like that. It has to be somewhere where anyone can access it. Um, they're solar powered. Um, they have uh, multiple large um, touch touch screens, which are rugged and can survive dust and rain and uh, thousands of children tapping away day and night. They have rugged keypads as well. They can host a radio station. They can take photographs and make movies. On one side is a workbench with tools um, so that repairs can happen kind of internally. And on the other side is a charging station. So if you have a personal device, you can go and plug it in and charge it up for free. They're Wi-Fi enabled. So again, if you've got your own computer or smartphone, you can go and be near it and use the internet freely um there's a community portal and i'm really excited about that part of it through which the community it's kind of like a craigslist but specific to the hello hub community so that business um and information can be shared around the community and and the two main goals for the project are um education but also storytelling um doing what you're doing allowing people to share their failures and their successes to um document their lives to advocate uh, politically and um environmentally um because um it's uh, one of the linchpins of democracy and um nonpartisan community led reporting is um too rare in so many parts of the world what are some of the successes that you've had with project color world and where do you see this going in the future well, in reverse order, I, uh, we're building in Uganda this year. Um, really excited to be building um, either four or five Hello Hubs uh, across Uganda. And I'm, I'm excited to see what happens when a Hello Hub is, um, when they're built in networks like that and the hubs are very personally connected to their twins in the country. Um, and I'm excited to see the conversations and connections that come out of that um, kind of twinning. Um in terms of the successes, I think I think that we're we're um, 21 months into this project. We built the first one 21 months ago in Suleja in Nigeria. We built um, relatively close to the site of a Boko Haram slaughter, and Boko Haram are opposing um, Western education, particularly the education of girls. And obviously, a Hello Hub is um, for girls as well as for boys. Um, and we built in a community that is extremely poor. Um, and I suppose. Um, one of the main successes has been that the Hello Hub that we built, the first Hello Hub that we built, is not only still standing, but it's been repaired and maintained and even improved by the community since it was built. And when I was first pitching this project, I I, I don't know how many meetings I went to, but so, so many. And invariably, I would hear two things. One was that it wouldn't last the night, that this is valuable equipment. It's beautiful equipment. These people are extremely poor. You're building an slum area and it will be dismantled and it will be sold for component parts and uh, it all vandalized it just won't last and I didn't believe that because I felt that if the community had made an investment then they would protect it and they would maintain it um, and I'm I'm really proud that it is it is still there we definitely had a sleepless night on the first night but it's been 21 months and it's still there and the community own it and they're looking after it and they're very proud of it and they know that it's theirs um 
I think that's one major success. Um, another another thing that I heard in almost every meeting was, what are you going to do about porn? It seemed that porn was the issue that um, was really on everyone's mind, um, which I found kind of interesting. Um, and I said, well, look, these are huge touch screens and they're in the middle of town. It's just really unlikely that kids are going to sit around watching porn if your granny can walk past at any point um but people still felt that the porn issue was was the one that was um the biggest risk and and i would say to that that you know pornography um whatever we may think of how damaging it can be and how um uh, dangerous the um industry is is not illegal and i can't take a patriarchal approach to the laws of another country and i think the best way to tackle dangerous or inappropriate content that children may have access to is to discuss it with them and to hold that conversation in the community so that it doesn't um become uh, such a dangerous taboo that it actually has power or more power than it should um anyway the screens are really big and as we predicted nobody's watching porn on a hello hub because you know nobody's going to watch porn when anyone uh, could walk past so i think that was another that was really useful to know and um it was nice to be able to kind of debunk that but i think the thing that we're all proudest of is that after about 10 o'clock at night the um the children from the community children who are who are homeless um often orphans uh, totally uneducated and not enrolled in any kind of education are coming out of the sewers where they live to use the hello hub and um we're really proud that they feel that they understand that it is theirs as well um and their resource and they are coming out and figuring out how to register and log in and figuring out how to type and um teaching themselves to use the internet and teaching themselves to play educational games and we asked our um, community support officer Ali Zubaru to change his hours so that um he was often there at night to support them and support that process and make sure that they were welcome and um found their place at the hub and i think i think it's their involvement that we're proudest of well this is a really cool project and we'll certainly link to your video in the show notes so that people can get a sense of what this thing is and what it looks like <laughs> it's fantastic and i love the story and these reflections that you're providing about the impact that it's going to have in particular there's this initial negative feedback that it's not going to work it's going to be vandalized it's going to be taken apart but instead there's actually a sense of community ownership that helps it survive and thrive yeah 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 it's it's just it's very it's very simple i mean it's it it seems pretty obvious i i guess when when we talk about it in these terms but it's it's so it's so rare actually for for development projects to happen in a genuine um partnership with the community in that way and i think the reason that it's hard to to do it in this way is that it takes longer um and it's therefore um uh, it always it's it's an issue that's always questioned by funders. Why do you need to be there for a month to build each hub? Um, because obviously, if we were to build them ourselves, Roland and Caleb could knock up a Hello Hub in two days, I guess. But if the community are building it, then it takes weeks and or, or preferably a month. And they really do build every single part of it themselves. Um, so I think that the pressures on the industry are that you just kind of get in, get it done, get out. But but those projects really work. I'd love to hear some more of your own story, your personal <laughs> professional background, and, and maybe a bit about how this has led you to where you are today. Yeah, sure. It's kind of a chaotic story. It's been, it's been a real patchwork, patchwork quilt. I started my career in the theatre. Um, 
uh, basically because I was told by my uh, headmistress that I was only fit for the stage and I was so um, uh, I was so uh, young and impressionable um, that I believed her um, and so I, I started work in the theatre and I moved I moved to New York um, with a play that I'd produced and um, ended up um, working at a political arts theatre um, and uh, eventually friends who I, I was asking to come and see, I produced a political arts festival and, and, and eventually friends were saying to me, God, you know, every time we come and see one of your plays, it's really dark. It's about Abu Ghraib or genital mutilation or Guantanamo. And it's just all really dark. And um, I, I think it was the moment that I realized that actually I'm more interested in politics and um, human rights um, and that I, I might have um I might just be able to wrestle up the confidence to actually do something about that and get more involved more directly in that space. And that's when I um, left the theatre to work uh, um, for an organisation called um, Speak Truth to Power, which is part of the Robert F. Kennedy Memorial. And it was from there that I started working with human rights activists and um, learning more about the field and the, the sector and how it works. Um, I lived in Nigeria for many years and, and I, I, I ended up there um, through a series of um, extremely random uh, events, as I think so many people's careers um, uh, uh, happen. But I, I had just accepted a job at Oxford at the university in the politics department, and I decided to leave America and return to the UK after some years. Um, and I had a phone call that same day offering me a job um, running a, a division of a large West African media a media house. Um, and because I was really interested in how the private sector affects development and poverty alleviation and I felt that it would be a really good education and I felt that it would be uh, an adventure um, and because I am competitive and I had an ex-boyfriend who'd just taken a job in, in uh, Nigeria I said yeah sure fine I'll do it um, and I moved to Lagos a, a couple of months later um, and it was one of the most naive and um, ridiculous decisions I've ever made and ended up being um I mean, actually invaluable. I, I learned so much about Nigeria. It was a real crash course in the country, which I love um, in its politics and its business environment. Um, I learned how to uh, I, um, I learned I, 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 I my naivety was stripped away from me pretty, pretty quickly. Um, and eventually, after a sort of Jerry Maguire moment, when I presented a plan for reforming the workplace rights of the organization, I was fired and uh, left town very, very quickly to live in Abuja. Um, and it was while I was in Abuja, I was consulting a little bit for the World Bank and USAID and various other organizations like that, that I started responding in my spare time to um, things that I saw around me. In Nigeria, there's no shortage of injustice um, and uh, there is huge uh, poverty um, and it is a country that is um, at war with itself in many ways. Um, and uh, I started um, a series of small projects just responding to um, problems that I saw. We built an energy autonomous house out of recycled plastic bottles. Um, uh, my friend Shireen and I started a um, soap a soap making business in an, in an effort to uh, create um, sustainable green jobs for women who were otherwise unemployable. Um, and I launched a relief campaign for the victims of the ethnic fighting in Joss. And I, I think I've really never been happier than, um, than that time because I was very physical. I was making soap. I was traveling all over the place. I felt really connected to what I was doing. I felt purposeful. I felt extremely happy. Um, and because of that, um, 
joy and passion and excitement um i founded projects for all which is the umbrella or the legal entity under which we um our, our team uh do all of these these development projects I'm always really interested to hear about these pivotal moments in our lives where we're going one direction and then something happens to change that direction, maybe whether we want to or not. Hmm. And you mentioned a few of those, but in particular, how was it for you making that transition from theater to being involved in politics and development and human rights? Hmm. You mentioned something about wrestling up the confidence to make that shift. <laughs> what was that process like for you? Yeah. Well, in the end, it was um, really smooth. It's it's really the same skill set. Being a producer is just a kind of um, you know you, you're just just have to be pretty organised. And um, it was really the same skill set. Um, everything comes down to the wire. The budgets are really tight. You've got to persuade people um, to get involved for very little money or no money. Um, the stakes always feel really high. Um, but I felt. I think the difference was is that in working in, in the human rights field, I felt that I had finally found um, uh, I, that I had arrived in my work in a way that was really significantly different. Um, and I find I find the I find the injustice that we see all around us in every country of the world completely intolerable. Um, and it, it, unless I'm unless I feel like I'm at least trying to do something about that. I find it quite hard to be happy and um, I feel energized and hopeful if I feel that we are, uh, that I'm part of supporting a move in the right direction towards a more equal and a fairer world. It seems we've got, we've got so far to go. Um, I also feel, I mean, I was living in America when that happened and America, America, as England is, is you know, it has a has a firm belief in this. Um, I, I would say this this fictional notion of a meritocracy. There's this this idea that um, we choose the best people for the jobs, and I think that that's just absurd, um, uh, just an absurd myth peddled by um, the privileged. Um, because in my experience, it seems to be luck and privilege and wealth um, that um, help people get ahead or find interesting, meaningful work, mean that they can make choices to do risky, um, risk, go into risky artistic fields. Um, uh, and I think that with that um, luck and privilege comes some responsibility um, to do something more meaningful and valuable than than just make money. Um so for me, um, there's real joy in feeling um, useful, just useful. What were some of the challenges that you faced along the way as you've been engaged in this kind of work? Mm. At a personal level, maybe in terms of making this all work for you? Mm. Logistically, emotionally, in terms of setting goals and visions for your life? Well, I mean, there are so many. I, I, don't, I almost don't know where to start. I, I think the main one is that I have two children who are one and two. And, um, I think that, I think that for women, you know, um, as we know, it's extremely hard to find, um, a balance between work and, and life. And because I'm passionate about my work and, and very driven and motivated, motivated by it, um, I found that balance very hard to strike. But also, um, it's extremely hard to make, um, a decent living in, um, the charity sector. Um, 
and well, in some parts of it. And uh, we are a small startup and raising money for salaries is, you know, really extremely difficult. People um, tend to expect particularly women to do this work for free because we're passionate about it and because presumably there's a man somewhere around the corner who can uh, support us. Um, and I when I don't get paid, which is um, not infrequent. I have no childcare and when I have no childcare, I work when my children are asleep and do all my work at night and I'm with the children in the day. So I find, I think that has been the, the, the sort of time and the juggle has been extremely challenging on a very practical note. Um, and it's, um, very, un, you know, that's, it's such an unglamorous problem to have and it's such a common problem to have. Um, I think on a, I think another uh, problem that I find is that I'm I'm impatient and I feel frustrated and I I don't feel I I often don't feel that we are um as an industry making progress quickly enough um and I um feel um I feel I feel a lot of responsibility to the children who I work for and whom I know um who are um hoping to be able to change their lives, hoping to be able to learn to read and write um, and to count and to connect with the world. Um, I feel a real urgency to get to them um, because um, because because not getting to them just wouldn't be good enough. Um, and because they're all of our responsibility, I feel. And I think also because I'm a mother now and more than ever, I want to do something with my life that I hope my children will be proud of. Um, and, um, that they, that they will think was a meaningful use of my time. Um, so I think that, I think it's, I think those are the real challenges for me in this work. Um, and, uh, you know, there are great days and, and there are days when it, it feels that we're just dragging ourselves up a mountain. The purpose of this show, A Congruent Life, is really about exploring themes of authenticity and reinvention. In the light of your experience and the projects that you've been involved in, what would you say that living authentically or congruently means to you? I think that in a way for me, it seems looking back that living authentically uh seems to have been taking the path of most resistance at almost every turn. Um, there were there were so many opportunities when I could have stayed in that job, um, stayed in that country, um, you know, stayed um, and continued along a path. But I had often got to a place where I felt that I um, knew a bit more and wanted a bit more and was dissatisfied or felt we could do it better. And I, um, more times than I can remember, started all over again um, with the next step, which was usually building on in some ways, but very often also really kind of casting out into the darkness. Um, so I think in a way, leading an authentic life has been really um, uh uh, taking the path of, of, of most most resistance um, over and over and over again. Um, and I think that um, it's, uh, for me at least, it's about um, allowing what I care about to define what I do um, and to be careful about what I care about. Um, so it's meant that I have you know, I've been away from home I was away from home for 14 years until very recently and haven't had an enormous amount of security or stability in in some ways. And I knew that there was a trade-off there, that 
um, if I wanted to be out and learning and living and exploring and discovering um, that I would have to forfeit some of the sort of career ladder, the housing ladder, the finances, all of that stuff that we're told to prioritize very often. And, and actually that does make life or can make life more comfortable. Um, so it, it was about recognizing that there would be an exchange between that and um, having fun and learning and doing what I cared about. And I I don't think I'll ever look back and regret spending my 20s and half of my 30s living all over the world. Um because because it's invaluable to me. When you said, be careful about what I care about, what did you mean by that? We moved to, my family and I moved to New York for a year um, after we had been living in Ethiopia. And uh, my husband came home one day and uh, said, it's amazing, we've been here for just you know a matter of weeks and already I feel that I need this and want that and I simply can't go on without those shoes um, and we must have a bigger apartment. And, um, you know, it, and he said very quickly he felt that he had been sucked into he just sort of noticed that he'd very quickly been sucked into this idea of wanting more status, more money, more stuff. Um, and I think that I think it can be important to be careful about wanting that stuff because it may not actually be all that meaningful. Um, it is to some people, certainly, but I have at least really enjoyed not having it as often as as often as I, I've enjoyed having it at times. So, yeah, I think it's about giving up the stuff, the desire for stuff and um, even for a home and even for security um, and uh, being able to do something that you're passionate about and that you're proud of. And um, being back in London, we have noticed that um, I think particularly for men, I think it's a, I think it's a, I think that there's a real pressure on men that, that the idea that you are as successful as, as the, as the amount on your paycheck, um, is, is still quite prevalent. And, um, uh, I guess that's just not how I see success. So what kind of advice would you give to people that are maybe in similar kinds of places? where they have this passion and vision for impacting the world, but are feeling constrained logistically or financially or due to their own life circumstances. Mm. I know it's really hard to boil that down, but are there some lessons from your own experience that you could share? Mm. I think getting started is the key. Um, there are so many times when I felt really paralyzed and like I couldn't find a way in. I didn't have the right degree. I didn't have the right qualifications. Um, I felt really passionate. I felt angry. I felt that I did have something to add, but I didn't know how to find a way in. And I think that, um, I think very often we're told that there is one route you do, um, masters in international development or something related, or, um, and then you sort of work your way through the UN galaxy system and work your way through that. I guess I think it's more interesting, more valuable, more meaningful to just get started. Um, and I don't think that you have to be living, um, in Africa or Latin America or India or or, or, or or anywhere in particular to respond to um, injustice. Um, in, in every country of the world, you don't have to look far at all to find something that will appall you um, and that ought to be um, fought against. Um, and uh, I think that very often I, I talk to people who are wanting to start their careers and they want to figure out how they can um, get into the big aid agencies or get out to Africa. And um, I think that just getting started is really key. Um, and I know that that means doing it in your spare time and um, 
piecing it together. And I guess that's what I did. I was doing a day job and um, working on these projects on the even- in the evenings and the weekends. Um, but it gave me an experience and uh, a voice that was invaluable. And it helped me define exactly what I care about and what I'm interested in, where I felt I could be useful. And once you're in, it's extremely easy to, to grow um, your work. Um, but it's quite hard to kind of get in because I think very often people don't feel um qualified valid um so getting started would always be my advice so what's going on in your world now katie (laughs) what sort of projects do you have that you're excited about and what's next for you yeah well so project hello world is just about to start growing it's i guess we're we've done our kind of bus trial um we're going to do a full proof of concept in uganda we're going to get a huge amount of data about where the kids are going on the internet, what they're learning, what they're doing, um, what problems there are with connecting communities in this way, how we need to improve the project. We're really hoping to do a wider rollout in Pakistan um, next year over the course of quite a few years. Um, And what we really want to do is um, really take the community-led part of this work um, to its logical conclusion, which would be to take teams from from all over Africa into one central um, or relatively central location and train them um, in every aspect of building a Hello Hub. So have two, five or ten teams of two, and and one of the one of the team members would be the community lead, and the other would be the engineering lead, and we'll train up those teams in every aspect of building a Hello Hub and working with the community and then give them the resources that they need to go back into their communities and build 10 hubs with our support and ongoing guidance and advice and encouragement, but really taking a lead on that project. And when we get to that level of scale, this project will start to mushroom and grow in a way that's amazingly exciting. And I think that we'll start hearing from children that we otherwise never hear from. And I think that I think that's thrilling. So that's that's what we're gearing up for and working on. I think the other thing we'd like to do as an organization we're really starting to think about is figuring out ways to um, generate sustainable revenue streams. So not just um, working as a charity. Um, it's it's a really limiting format because you're constantly cap in hand, constantly having to um, beg for money, improve the model and jump through hoops to get the model or, or be asked to change the project in ways that won't work in order to get money. Um, and so what we'd quite like is a series of independent revenue streams um to diversify our income, to give us some freedom to make um, decisions um, and to make sure our projects are emergent and to respond to problems as we see them, to stay in communities that we know need more um, engagement and support um, rather than having to say, hang on, we see this as terrible. Wait there. We'll be back when we've raised some money. Um, so, yeah, that's that's the next step. And I'm I'm looking forward to that. We're going to have a series of events between now and Christmas, um, partly to pull our community together and build like the misfits, build um, for hold a space for all of the people who um, are leading their lives with authenticity, um, are doing interesting, meaningful, important work, are funny, are clever, are kind um, and like eating together. And so we're going to have a series of um, of really um, uh, interesting, um, immersive dinner parties to keep that keep that conversation alive. Um, and for me, that will be really nice because our team is all over the world, and it'll just be really nice to have some kind of physical time with everyone. So that's where we are at the moment. And I'm moving house, which is taking up a lot of time. <laughs> but I kind of get it at these days. Done it a few times. <laughs> So where should we send people to learn more about what you're up to and to engage with your organization? 
Well, the website projectsforall.org is the best place to start. Um, And I would love my email address is up on the website and I would love to hear from anybody who knows of communities that would value from a, a value a Hello Hub or people who would like to be involved in supporting the Hello Hub project or even just hear kind of criticism and feedback and ideas for improving the project. We it's it's a very much an open source project. We open source all of our programming and our designs. We want people to pick them up and build Hello Hubs themselves. So the best thing would be to hear from someone who's interested in learning how to build a Hello Hub. And we will give you all of the tools that you need to do it yourself and guide you through that process. At the moment, someone's building two Hello Hubs in Lagos, and we are working with them remotely to make sure that they understand our how-to guides and improve our how-to guides through the process. So we hope that this project will be picked up and um, uh, and used and improved and, and built by people all over the world. Is there a final thought that you'd like to leave our listeners with about authenticity? Well, yeah, I think so. I guess it's, I think it might be more for you, Andy, and, and also for your listeners, but it's nice to be able to have a really um, an honest conversation. I think that in my industry, in the in the development industry, you usually have to dress up the struggles as positives it's very hard to report on failure without being frowned on um it you know you have to pretend that everything's going swimmingly all the time otherwise you might not get that funding or get that press or whatever it is um and i think that that's really unhelpful and not constructive and um I really enjoy um, being able to have conversations about the work that can be really honest and can be authentic. So thank you. Well, thanks very much. I really appreciate those kind words. And Country McMillans, thank you for the energy and passion that you're pouring into the world. This is a really exciting series of projects. So thanks for being so selfless and giving in that way. And thanks again for sharing this time with us on A Congruent Life. Thank you so much for having me. It's been really lovely to talk to you. I appreciate it so much. I hope that you enjoyed that conversation with Catherine McMillan. The show notes for this episode are at acongruentlife.net slash 63 or net slash Macmillan, which is M-A-C-M-I-L-L-A-N. Thanks to those of you who have been supporting the show. I appreciate your reviews, your emails, your inquiries. A very helpful way to support us is sharing A Congruent Life with others. And an easy way to do that is to leave a review for the show at acongruentlife.net slash iTunes or acongruentlife.net slash Stitcher. It only takes a moment and is really helpful. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to and supporting A Congruent Life. I have some interviews with some wonderful people that I'm really excited to share with you. So watch for those to come across your podcast feed soon. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to A Congruent Life. For more, please visit us on the web at acongruentlife.net. Do you have feedback about the show or suggestions for future guests? Please contact us through the website or send an email to feedback at acongruentlife.net. See you next time.